Robots are coming, and some of the biggest impacts will be seen in transportation and warehousing. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. scarcely an aspect of our lives today that hasn't been touched by robotics and artificial intelligence. One study predicts that up to 47% of all current employment will be disrupted by the technology by the year 2050. Robots started out as figments of science fiction, but they're very much with us today. To find out exactly how much, I'm speaking today with Joe Brusuelas, Chief Economist with RSM US LLP, an audit, tax, and consulting firm. He recently published an analysis of the impact that automation and robotics are having on the global business landscape in the latest issue of RSM's monthly publication, The Real Economy. Brusalis will describe some of the trends that are driving the development of robotics in the workplace, such as the rising minimum wage. He'll answer my question about the fate of workers displaced by automation. And he'll give us a candid view of the progress, or lack of it, of artificial intelligence. So here is my conversation with Joe Brusuelas. Joe Brusuelas, welcome to the program. Thank you. You're the author of an article on the subject of automation, AI, and robotics in the latest issue of The Real Economy, the RSM monthly publication. I understand that robotic sales are up pretty sharply, 12% in 2015, 100% increase from 2010. Where are we seeing the growth in terms of what types of robots and devices? Well, primarily what you're seeing are industrial robots that work on shop floors, meaning that the continuing automation of manufacturing is picking up the pace. And we're going to begin to see over the next several years a move of of AI and, and robotics into the provision of services. Much of this will come in the wake of the regulatory changes that are occurring in terms of minimum wage or livable wage laws. And then even this year on December 1st, we're going to see an increase in um, or change in policy that directly affects individuals making under $43,000 a year with respect to overtime. These regulatory changes will serve as the impetus to increase the role of technology in not only production, but the provision of services. And that will alter the basic business models for some companies. Okay, I want to talk to you more about these drivers that you brought up in a moment. But first of all, I want to talk a little bit more about the robots themselves. You say they are in industrial use. Typically, when a member of the general public thinks of a robot, they think of something human-like or humanoid or 
patterned after the human body. Is that the case, or are these robots nothing like people and conducting tasks that are nothing like those that were originally performed by humans in the past? Yeah, they're, they're, they're nothing like human beings. They're made to conduct specific tasks that work, and these robots work almost 24-7, so you get a lot more efficiency out of uh, the production process and your what used to be your labor force, but what is now just part of the normal everyday mode of production. So you say industrial uses and you specified manufacturing, but I assume that in the world of distribution and warehousing, they're also becoming increasingly prevalent. Is that the case? That is the case. And, and right now, the greatest gains are in auto production, but in the warehouse and distribution industry, you're going to see more automation, not less. I think that that's where you could see some, some of the greatest gains over the next five to 10 years, especially as you we move towards driverless deliveries, driverless trucks. You really get to a, a, a point where you've reduced your labor force significantly, but increased your output and efficiency at the same time. It's interesting you refer to driverless vehicles because I guess most people don't think of those as robots, but they are in fact that, are they not? Well, that's right. Those are dynamic software systems. I, my automobile uh, is able to park itself now. I can drive to the mall, it'll pick out the open spot, get to that open spot quite quickly and park itself. So that this is now an everyday part of our lives, even if our policymakers and our friends in the media don't necessarily um, recognize it or identify it as such. However, there isn't anything especially new about heavy automation in use in warehouses, is there? We've seen the so-called lights-out warehouse in practice for a number of years now, but I think probably more outside the U.S., more in Europe. Is that the case? Do you understand that to be more advanced elsewhere and maybe just coming here now to the U.S.? I wouldn't necessarily call it advanced. You know, I, I had the good fortune of growing up in a family where both my uncle and my father ran fairly large distribution centers and warehouses in Southern California. And I can remember as, as recently as the early 90s where you saw a big pickup in automation and in the way in which the uh, warehouses could be managed to resemble a just-in-time distribution center with a lot less employees than one would have seen either 10 or just 15 years before that. I do think that the U.S. and Mexico, in terms of the Western countries, are the most advanced. It's where you see it the most. But we are lagged just a bit behind what you're seeing in Japan and China, specifically in Japan, who's really taken the lead in all this. But again, I'm thinking specifically of the so-called lights-out warehouse in which there's actually almost no human beings in the facility at all. Just almost everything is, is highly automated. That does seem, at least I had thought, to be more of a phenomenon in Europe than in the United States, at least till now. Am I not right, right about that? No, you're right about that. that that's definitely a, more of a Japanese and European um, phenomenon. We don't see that here quite yet, but it's clearly on the way. Why do you think it started there first? I think that the Japanese have looked at the role of automation in a much different fashion than the U.S. Far less resistance to change institutionally, in part because Japan had to rebuild from the war, and so that the sociocultural institutions that were erased um, were not there to inhibit automation, especially as Japanese heavy industry 
and uh, automobile production began to take off in, in the late 1960s and early 1970s. And the production that wasn't moved to the lower cost locales of, of Vietnam and, and Thailand and Malaysia and China were kept at home and increasingly made more efficient via, via automation. And the real first experiments with robotics back in the 1980s and early 1990s. So let's talk about some of the policy shifts that, that you mentioned earlier that might be driving it, starting with, of course, just rising wages. That is a real driver toward increased use of automation? Yes, the, the, the mix between technological advances and rising wages always serves as an incentive for firms to reassess their overall cost structure and integrate more technology into the production process or provision of services, typically as a substitute for labor. Now, because of the, the long period of wage stagnation, we're starting to see a different policy framework put in place. It's not simply just lifting the minimum wage. It's since the institution of a livable wage. That's going to cause firms to take a second look at further integrating that technology into the provision of services. Let me give you a specific example. We're likely to see some fairly large disruption in retail, leisure, and hospitality specifically in inhospitality, where you're already beginning to see in places such as Dubai, where they've got robots taking your bags up to your room or coming to get your room and taking them down to where you're going to be picked up. It's the out-of-the-box thinking like that and the development of technology to support round-the-clock service in the hospitality or leisure industry that's likely to, to lead to, to that disruption. So now you're talking about the customer-facing robot, aren't you? Whereas before they were hidden behind the walls of manufacturing plants and warehouses, now we're talking about warehouses coming into the public and people actually dealing with them face-to-face. -face. That's right, and that, that will be coming soon to, to North America. And as somebody who you know travels extensively on business, I'm in hotels 100 nights a year, I have a real good sense of how these enterprises work and how difficult it is to run that business while maintaining the level of service. And integrating technology in the overall framework is one way of continuing to do that while retaining cost controls of, of your business despite the policy changes that are coming and the ones that are already put in place. Have you seen the use of such robots in your travels? Can you describe an experience you had? No, no, I haven't. This is just something that I, that I follow quite closely, and I've actually had some discussions with SPG about this. It's not in their plans today, but again, I've seen the evidence of it uh, over in the, the Middle East, specifically in Dubai, and it will be here soon. How do you think they'll be accepted? Don't you think there'll be at least an initial pushback by humans in a retail environment saying, I don't want to talk to a robot, I want to talk to a person? Or, or do you think it will be widely accepted? Well, there'll be some of that, but my, I suspect that it will be widely accepted because it just increases one's own efficiency and saves one time and, and actual money. We use all technology all of the time in our lives. I mean, the ubiquitous ATMs, the one-touch technology on our phones, I think that we're quite used to it now. But on the other hand, we hear about some beginnings of pushback in retail operations against the use of self-checkout automation, that, that people are backing off of that. And in fact, some stores are, are taking the self-checkout aisles out 
because they felt that maybe the customers did not feel comfortable with those or they led actually to more loss of product through shrinkage and stuff like that. So is that just a temporary phenomenon? You think that in the long run we do accept this technology after maybe an initial reluctance? I think that that's situational and sometimes just an excuse from corporations who've had a bad quarter or a bad year. Take a look at a company like Home Depot exceptionally well run, very lean in terms of their acquisitions and their supply. And those checkout lines are ubiquitous and they don't seem to have the problem of shrinkage. My sense is that this is already here and already well accepted. And, you know, Home Depot plays a special role for for all homeowners in the country in terms of home improvement. And the the numbers bear it out in terms of their earnings and the price of their share price of their equity. So you feel that the bringing along or that you feel that the coming of the so-called livable wage is the tipping point, so to speak, that will, uh, it will motivate many organizations to move to robots in the customer-facing area? Yeah. So over the next three years, we're going to have 21 different locations, urban centers around the, the country that are going to begin implementing $15 an hour wages, the so-called livable wage. They'll be phased in over a period of time. In places like New York and California, it, should there be a recession, there'll be a period of stopping and reevaluating the logic of the policy. But in these urban centers is where you're likely to see it first, especially in the provision of services and again in retail, leisure and hospitality. Who will bear the brunt of the cost of transition? to higher wages. And one way to remain solvent and stay in business is to think about controlling costs. And some things don't change. Labor costs are still responsible for roughly 74% of all business costs. Therefore, it's only logical that these firms and businesses will take a second look at technology. I think even the matching technology that we all use to get Uber to pick us up will heavily impact things such as the fast fresh industry where you can go on your app, you can automatically order it, you're there five minutes later, it's there with your name on it, and you're, you're ready to go. Increasingly, these technologies are just going to change the face of uh, the service industry here in the United States and elsewhere. Well, I have to ask you the age-old question that goes back to the beginning of any type of technology whatsoever, and that is what are the implications for human employment in such an environment where robots are so heavily utilized? Do you believe that humans will simply graduate to higher-class jobs that require higher skills, or do you think that this will actually have a net negative impact on employment levels in this country? Okay, so that the, the baseline paper that we've all read and that I cited in my article is the study over at Oxford that suggests up to 47% of all current employment can be disrupted by 2050. My sense is, is that like free trade, technology integrated into the workforce will tend to increase the overall welfare of the economy. However, those benefits will be asymmetrically distributed. There will be winners and there will be losers. There will be intense periods of disruption to the labor market due to the advanced integration of technology into the workplace. That's something that's just not going to be avoided. Now, do I think that we're going to have some dystopic outcome? No, I, I don't. I think that, like most economists, technology leads to more jobs, not less. Those jobs tend to be disproportionately better, friendlier to the human condition, and better and better off in the long run. 
my sense here is, is that the next area of work that's ripe for disruption is transportation and warehousing. That's where you're simply just going to see a continuous decline in overall employment in those industries as driverless trucks arrive and perfectly automated warehouses arrive here in the economy. And you think that's pretty short-term. How many years ahead are we where that becomes a a reality on a regular basis? I would think by the end of 2025 that's going to define that industry. We'll see like driverless trucks going down highways by that time. That's correct. And even like Uber and Lyft on the passenger side, I guess the idea that there are humans driving those cars is sort of a middle passage to the point where they will be totally automated, I would think. That's, I think, where we're going, and I wouldn't be surprised as we see national infrastructure projects put into place over the next several years that the technological embedding of sensors to guide these cars and have them drive at a specific speed will also be put into place. That the technology's there, and it wouldn't be of any shock that it's made part of the national grid. I want to ask you, Joe, about artificial intelligence, AI, which to some degree at least is a subject separate from that of robotics because it can be applied in so many different areas. Where do you feel we are in the AI spectrum? For years now, for decades, AI scientists have told us we are only 10 or 20 years away from true AI where we're able to duplicate the workings of the human mind, but that 20-year horizon remains 20 years away. Where are we now on that? Do you feel that we are actually approaching true AI to the point where it really becomes that effective in its use in the world of automation? We're not anywhere near close to the point where AI is is ready to be integrated into the workplace. I think there'll be select industries, largely scientific and, and financial, that are tend to be hyper-productive as it is, where there'll be less resistance and an ability to integrate the latest innovations. But we're, we're not anywhere near close to where you're going to have AI be a, a real issue. I think interactive kiosks are about the best we can do at this point right now. We're just simply not there. And also, I wonder if AI at some point would be an important factor in customer service where you would, in fact, again, this would be part of robotics. You would be talking to a robot. It would be able to interpret what you're saying and asking to be able to respond back intelligently. We have a very primitive version of that today in our mobile phones and our apps. But do you think that's a little bit down the road as well? Well, I think that the algorithms that say Amazon Prime uses are, are sort of the best examples of that. I like to read books on economics and finance, and it constantly finds new ones for me to buy. I appreciate it very much, and I, and I like it very much that way. The idea that we're going to have artificial intelligence evolve to the point of being a substitute for, for human labor just isn't quite there yet. Algorithms and intelligence that makes us more efficient in production on the margin is what we should expect, not the science fiction version of it. However, the one aspect of AI that we have seen growing in the last few years has been the use of expert systems where you can program so much information and expertise into a system that it can kind of spit back at you analytics to a point that I would think are fairly sophisticated, or is that still in a very primitive stage as well? No, no, that's, that's very much the case. The technology's there. Now, we're not sure where it's going. We certainly have seen disruptions in the legal industry 
where we've seen a net decline in terms of lawyers working in that profession due to the very sophisticated algorithms and artificial intelligence at work. What, if any, limitations do you see that might present themselves that would slow the growth of robotics and AI in future? Humans are used to interacting not only on intelligence quotient, but emotional quotient, the EQ, so to speak. And the lack of EQ in artificial intelligence and automated systems may somewhat limit the integration of that into everyday life with the exception of very, very highly sophisticated and technical industries. But these limitations, though, you believe they will be overcome? Slowly over time, but remember, you know, human tastes and preferences to a certain extent shape the institutions that we have. And until those tastes and preferences are better aligned with the technology, you simply won't see it in the way it's presented in uh, the mainstream media or even in science fiction. Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this issue of AI, robotics, and automation. We will link to your article in the issue of The Real Economy in the show notes to this episode. And then we will look forward to these developments kind of presenting themselves in future and see how it all shapes up. But uh, in the meantime, Joe Brusuelis, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk on this very important topic. That was my conversation with consultant Joe Brusuelis, talking about the progress of robotics, artificial intelligence, and automation in the workplace. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including a digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.